This past week, two IRS whistleblowers, career yeah. investigators, testified under oath that the Justice Department slow-walked the investigation yeah. into President Biden's son, Hunter, and ignored recommendations to file more serious felony charges. Are you confident the politics did not play a role here? Well, it was, a, a, if you met you, since you referenced mm -hmm. the hearing, mm -hmm. what a ridiculous clown show, again, on the part of the Republicans. Here was a purpose that, that you described. What do they do? Bring in Joe Kennedy talking about censorship, that he's being censored as he's talking to the world in a congressional hearing and showing pictures uh, that had nothing to do with the essence right. of it. I think you mentioned Robert, Robert F. Kennedy. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with Ah, uh, So we got a big week and a big show. We've got uh, today's guest, Larry Elder on the program he was a gubernatorial candidate as you recall last cycle in california running for president most of you probably recognize him from his nationally syndicated radio show and all of his work on fox news over the years um incredibly insightful smart guy regardless of whether you think his presidential campaign is your cup of tea or not uh certainly worth listening to yeah and i think you know he obviously has very strong opinions and ideas and stuff and um I think that's the greatest part about a, a primary process is you get to hear from a ton of candidates, most of which you might not support or maybe you will support, but everybody's got an idea of yeah. what they think mm -hmm. is important in this race. Yeah. And I think that process is ultimately really good for the party and having people like him who can speak to things about, you know, the black experience in America and becoming a Republican and what that what happens to you when you do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is yeah. like that's a really good voice we should have in our politics. Totally. And he's adding to the debate uh, every single day. Glad to have him on the program. Um, fellas, I don't know about you. We had a couple of meetings today where we discussed both Iowa and Milwaukee. Yeah. And it almost is surprising to me, given last week's craziness with the announcement that we're doing, like this game day style thing. Like, this is getting pretty close. Yeah. I mean, this is not a very long time that we have until both of these events you know they're, they're right here and july is all pretty much over yeah. so like you know we're getting right to to the, to the you know heat of things where the debate season's going to begin yeah at last and i can't wait i mean we're going to bring so much energy to this thing i know it is just going to be so great first of all the good people of iowa have always been fantastic the ruthless variety program and we intend to repay them for their generosity of spirit uh, by putting on a hell of a show. And we're, we've got some good guests. Yeah, we got some good guests. We're going to have a venue to announce uh, probably later this week. Yeah. Um, as we all you know, lock in all that stuff. So it's and thank you all for buying tickets. Uh, man, it's just it's awesome. And went uh, very quickly. And we had to rearrange uh, venues to accommodate. All the people who wanted to go, which is terrific. I'm not surprised. Our people are fantastic everywhere. The we best. Go. They are the absolute best. And then we go to Wisconsin, which 
you know, we got to put some production effort in this. Old Wolf's really breaking his back, huh? I know. Yeah, this is going to be 100% like next level. Like, no one has seen anything like this before, <laughs> what we're going to put out there. It's going to be terrific. <laughs> terrific. <laughs> it's going to be great. So, anyway, you got to tune in for all of that. We also have our YouTube content, which uh, it's not out yet and it will be soon, but you did, you're starting to do some extravaganzas across the country, Smug. Yeah, so uh, I spent the past weekend actually uh, fully tagging along uh, out in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a secret project. I'm so grateful uh, to the folks who got out there and worked with us on this project. And uh, it's going to be out on the YouTube. We'll see how quickly we can get it put together, but it's going to be amazing. And, and not it, I, I not even I haven't even seen it. Yeah, I don't even know exactly what it is that you're talking about here. So I mean, people are in for a real treat. It's it's going to be phenomenal. It's like a lifelong dream of mine. I'll, I'll put that like you know hint out there. Um, but it's going to be out on the YouTube. So if you have not subscribed. Subscribe now so you don't miss Get it. Get on so you can see it. I will say the one thing that you did, I guess, Foldy put on uh, the Twitters, which can we even call it that? Is it now X? I think it's, it's now actually X. X. Is it like... I'm just going to call it Twitter. I, I don't understand stand it, Michael Smug. <laughs> what, what is it? It just seems erratic. What, why in the world Monday morning you're like, <laughs> I'm going to change it to X? I just don't understand why you'd pay billions of dollars for a platform that has a brand... And a name, and then you just and then you just erase it. Well, Elon Musk is obviously a brilliant uh, engineer, inventor, businessman, and so like I'm sure that there is some calculus here that I don't fully appreciate. I just I I'm sure that I wasn't the only one who was surprised this morning when I woke up and <laughs> yeah. saw the X. Right. Yeah. 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 I just don't. Smog, you have any that. thoughts on that? Um, I think I don't know how much success you're going to have in getting people on board with like are they called x you know posting x's or whatever it's gonna be like uh, you know i saw a lot of folks discussing it as such but it's gonna be like the sears tower like no one calls it the willis tower even uh, it's gonna be like the sears tower yeah. so it's like oh i'm on twitter you know whatever um my understanding is so he wants to build it into kind of like an everything app where like mm. it's kind of it's youtube and it's twitter and it's paypal all at once you know oh like, i see uh, like china's got wechat which is like essentially an app that does everything he envisions building that using Twitter as the launch for it. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But in terms of the name, I think, you know, it's been so many years I've gotten used to calling it Twitter. I'm just going to call it Twitter. Well, the reason I bring all this up is Foley was active on the Twitters during your trip. Uh, one, he doc documented your airline experience, yeah. which to me, uh, that in and of itself was probably entertainment enough. Yeah, I mean, we traveled the right way. Uh, we made sure that Foley sat in coach where he belonged. <laughs> <laughs> Next to the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, listen, this airline knew what they were doing. They put him back there, stuck you in first class. That's the way it's, it's supposed to work. It builds character. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, you know, he needs to learn the the hard way. The second thing, which I'm gonna I'm gonna raise, is a uh, partial objection. You post he posted a picture of you two on the Ferris wheel. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even see that. Yeah. So uh, one of the things, and, and we're gonna have like a behind the scenes. Okay. Video is so this was like Foldy's first time in Los Angeles, and so he kind of like lost it, wanted to do all the tourist stuff. <laughs> so, folks, you're going to be able to see all of that. Can I just say, and, and look, I hope I'm not stepping out of bounds here. Maybe this is Foldy's thing, but when I think about the the, the Disney adult experience, and we've been pretty vocal mm -hmm. about our, our position on that, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to throw in. I'm going to throw in the Ferris wheel mm. on that. Mm. I, I so, feel like I, like it's one thing if you got a couple 
You know, a young couple that's going up and you're trying to see like the skyline and then you just make out I think when you get to the I top think, of that? I think It's imp- kind of a different when you got two dudes, well, don't you the, think? The important thing to bring up is that's typically like, if, you know, uh, uh, Disney World or something like that is mostly children are there. There's no children out in Santa Monica anymore. There's homeless people with knives. So, oh, so you had to do to maybe escape the violence? Yeah. I mean, you get a vantage of the violence happening from up there, that's for sure. I mean, I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. We saw multiple police raids and people with, like, guns fighting cops. They still around. have police there, too. Yeah. I mean, essentially, I think it was the police just, like, defending themselves. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Are you but serious? yes, there was yes, absolutely. And it's on video. But it's it was absolutely, you know, a, a surreal experience. Uh, it is far more safe up in that Santa Monica Ferris wheel than it is on the ground. Did the purveyors of the of the Ferris wheel at least give you two a moment at the top? No, every the rickety thing continued moving. Yeah. <laughs> I just love. I mean, there's a lot to do and see in Los Angeles. Grauman's Chinese Theater. There's a one of the greatest baseball players in history is now pitching and hitting Otani. The Ferris, you can do ride a Ferris wheel and. Yeah, well, anyway. Well, all those things we also nailed. But oh, oh, how, about, how really? about we wait for the video instead? Okay. Yeah, we, we will, we will, we will. Let's check all that yeah. out. And yeah. then and then you did see, as you advertised to us, uh, you saw the new movie, Oppenheimer. Yeah. In an actual IMAX, not a fake IMAX. Yeah, so there are, I I want to say the number is there's only nineteen, yeah, 19 theaters I think is on the Earth number. that yeah. are showing Oppenheimer in seventy millimeter IMAX. And it is just like absolutely mind blowing in that format where the screen is like, I mean, it's, I I'd imagine it's probably the same area as like a football field. Huh. It's that enormous. Um, the, the, the design of it is, uh, you know, when it's in the full IMAX format is so that, you know, not only horizontally, but also vertically, your peripheral vision is all movie. It's all encompassing. Yeah. So you're just like completely engulfed in it. And it's incredible experience for sure. The like IMAX reel, I was told, uh, that shows Oppenheimer is 11 miles long, a film, and weighs 600 pounds. Really? Yeah. So you're seeing incredible detail. It's it was a phenomenal movie. Phenomenal. And you experience. yeah you like that you like the movie and Absolutely. everything. You you'd highly uh... highly recommend everyone go see it. Okay. But it is not for kids. I'd say that it's not for kids. Okay. Good to know. All right. Thanks for the tip. Yeah, yeah that's good to know. I'm definitely going to check check out that movie. I've been excited about it for a long time. Um, all right. So let's get into some politics, shall we, fellas? There was here's why this is interesting to me. Um, we start with the idea that Hunter Biden, we we talked about this on Thursday's show. Uh, there's new revelations coming out over and over again from the oversight committee and everywhere else. But now it's been reported that Hunter Biden called Joe at least 24 times during business meetings with clients when his father was VP. Wow. First son's ex best friend will tell Congress. (laughs) <laughs> I guess you become the ex best friend when you like reveal this story, right? Like twenty four times, twenty four. So let's just to refresh our audience's memory on this. I think we've got the soundboard uh, here of of Joe Biden answering this question during the campaign. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. And what I will do is the same thing we did in our administration. There will be an absolute wall between personal and private 
and, and the government. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business? <laughs> yes, I stand by that statement. <laughs> wow. Well, mm. Wow. I mean, the thing is, it's so definitive. I mean, there's no, there's no. Yeah, he, he, he's he's not letting there be any wiggle room in any of those statements. He says point blank, straight up, absolutely not. And now here we have someone involved with the situation saying, well, at least twenty four times. Yeah. So, all right, this is according to Chad Pergram over at Fox. Fox is told the House Oversight Committee believes that Biden communicated in some form with Hunter Biden's business associates as well. Uh, that's why the committee wants to hear from Burisma board member Devin Archer later this week. Um, and this is according to the, the Daily Mail. Hunter Biden's former business partner and friend is set to testify that Hunter called then-Vice President Joe Biden during meetings with clients, uh, reports say. Devin Archer, 48, was subpoenaed on June 12th by the House Oversight Committee, which is investigating Hunter's business and whether he and other members of the Biden family improperly traded on their connections. Archer has so far canceled the scheduled deposition three times, and the Washington Examiner reported uh, all of that, but he still intends to speak to the committee. So we're going to learn something here. I think so. I mean, the, what's so fascinating about this is it hasn't taken over the news cycle. It, 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 the stuff that came out at the end of last week, the Grassley stuff in particular, mm-hmm. um, we talked about on Thursday was something that if it happened to a Republican president, it would be front page of every news publication in the English-speaking world. This one, like, if you searched for it, and I know because I was doing Fox, I think I was I was doing a special report, and this was a subject, and I was like, you know, I wanted to get all the information, so I was looking for all of the, uh, you know, testimony and everything else. And, like, you could only get it on Fox or conservative publications. Yeah. Mainstream media does not want to touch this because it is incredibly damaging to Joe Biden and Democrats, you know, writ large, because all of them were basically saying that, hey, Joe Biden's our guy. Anyone who says uh, anything about Hunter Biden, that's Russian disinformation. Mm -hmm. So they all realize it's now becoming more and more obvious that they were lying. And this is why it's so it's significant in many, many ways. We we already, I think everybody has come to the conclusion that Hunter Biden clearly traded on his dad's name. He wouldn't have gotten those jobs. Certainly right. wouldn't have paid, been paid millions of dollars. Like, that's not new to us. We, we knew that. What's different here is that you've got all of those comments from then-candidate Biden, now President Biden, about never dealing with any of it. And there was, remember some testimony at the end, it wasn't testimony, it was just interviews that this guy Bobolinsky yeah. was making, basically saying Joe Biden's lying. Mm-hmm. Well, what we found out over the last six weeks is, yeah, yeah, I mean, he definitely was lying about it. Well, and I assume what Democrats will say once all of this is litigated in public is like, oh, well, you know, I mean, look, Hunter Biden, yeah, maybe he like, he was trying to flex to these guys who were potential investors. So, yeah, maybe he put his dad on speakerphone, but that's no, no, that's nothing nefarious. Right. But of course, it means that Joe Biden lied. Yep. And there's even more color here in the article that I love. I love this part here when it's um, Hunter and Archer in Dubai. Yeah, Archer this is the guy. This will is reportedly guy. testify. And Hunter told fellow Burisma board members, yada, 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 as they gathered around the phone and put uh, Joe Biden on speaker. Hunter told Joe that the Ukrainian businessmen need our support. Don't you think 
if you're Joe Biden and you had that conversation and somebody asked you, you'd know you were lying. Mm. Pretty Need clear. Support. I mean, the thing is, is like you're like, like you're like you're inviting Joe Biden to join you in a conspiracy to leverage the United States for a foreign business. Mm -hmm. Like that's what you're doing in that phone call. But it sounds very, very familiar. Remember just a couple of weeks ago when he sent the text message to the Chinese businessman and said, quote, I'm sitting here with my father and we would like to understand why the commitment has not been fulfilled. Right. It's the exact and same. I think, yeah. I think their other excuse for that was he's a crackhead. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's a troubled crackhead. Yeah. And like somehow, okay, well, that's, that's Hunter being Hunter. Well, then it's okay. But this guy's saying that he was on the actual phone. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you, from from as a person who served in a relatively high-ranking uh, position in government, fortunately, I'd never had this problem with any family, but with you have friends who are interested in business before what you do. And you're like the number one thing you're always concerned about is making sure that you never cross that line. You never take a phone call mm -hmm. that you know is going to put you in a bad position because of your relationship, a friendship with someone that somehow obligates you or your boss or whatever the government itself to taking a position that somehow looks like you're aligning with a buddy. Mm -hmm. You just don't do it. I mean, that that's something that's just ethically imprinted in the middle of your forehead of on any public servant. And yet Joe Biden, then serving as vice president, not only is he lying about whether he had any conversations, we I think we probably already knew that because, like, look, it's his son and they spent a lot of time together. Clearly that's going to happen. But he's on the horn. He's on the horn. And not once, not twice, not like the third time. And he calls Hunter and says, hey, you know, knock, knock it off. Like, I can't be involved in this. 24 times. Yeah. I, it's, 24 times. It's wild. It is wild to me that the then vice president, now president of the United States, would put himself in a situation where so egregiously breaches common ethics mm -hmm. about how you deal with all of these things and then can turn around and be like, yeah, never happened. Yeah. What? <laughs> I mean, think about uh, it. Real. Huh? I'm, just so, I'm just so glad uh, the Oversight Committee is still digging on all of this because if they didn't, we'd never know any of it because Hunter Biden gets his sweetheart deal yep. where he serves no time, doesn't have to pay back taxes, and he gets a slap on the fucking wrist. It's absurd. It's absurd. And then the press covers for him and everybody else around him. Well, look, hats off to Jamie Comer and his staff. They're doing the real work and they're taking everything that the left can throw at him about being country and not knowing what they're talking about and throwing in sideshows or as Pelosi calls a circus they're doing their work and mm -hmm. we're learning real stuff here I don't know what it's going to take to get the mainstream media involved in here I mean you got good people like like Dana Bash who are asking real questions but the but I have no idea if you're an assignment editor at the Washington Post or New York Times what you're doing ignoring this well, let me tell you, and maybe one of the best ways to, to walk through what the rest of the mainstream media, aside from Dana, is doing is a game. Ah! Lovely, a surprise game oh, here on the wow, program. Wow, surprise game. We do, have a, we do have a famous game here on the Variety program that was developed by none other than Michael Duncan. And typically, Michael Duncan is the judge and jury of this game. But I found a handful of quotes that I thought you guys might like to guess. Ah. And I think that Michael should play. The game's called Demer Journo. I get oh, to play yeah. for the first time. 
I this just, is a fun surprise. But I, I think I made this game. Denver Journal was <laughs> We should play for sure. So just as a reminder to our listeners. We should play nevertheless. <laughs> After clearing that up. <laughs> just as a reminder to our listeners, the game Demer Journo is a game where we have four quotes. Three of them are journos. One of them is a dem, and you have to figure out which is which. This is the hardest game we play. I can't wait to play for the first time. Wolf, let's hit that music. We got cut short. I can't believe he cut us short. I mean, I think it's that's a good edit. No, 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 it's it's not a good edit because the last line is nobody knows. Nobody Nobody knows. That's the whole point. You don't know whether it's a dem or a journal because they don't tell you. Well, Well, not only that, but this is this has been subject to quite a controversy on the program. Some oh. people like it long. Yeah. I think Some people like it short. We, it, Wolf has just taken editorial control over this. Yeah. It's a nice little edit. Unbelievable. <laughs> you will get nobody knows next time around, I can assure you. Okay. All right. Here is statement number one. Okay. This could be a Democrat. It could be a journo. It could be one and the same. We'll see. Statement number one, Hunter Biden made foolish and criminal choices, including failing to pay his taxes and owning a firearm in violation of federal law. Statement number one. That's it. That's it. Foolish and what? Foolish and criminal choices, including failing to pay his taxes and owning a firearm in violation of federal law. Okay. Okay. Statement number one. Ready for number two? Yeah. Okay. Statement number two. It's basically one big, he said, they said. (laughs) Close quote. Statement number two. Of course, all of these statements are referring to various Hunter Biden controversies that have come before the public in the last couple of months. Or anything about his feet? (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to statement number three. (laughs) Okay. All right. The Republican obsession with Hunter Biden has reached a new low. That is statement number three. Okay. Okay. Okay, you ready for number four? Yes. Mm -hmm. Number four. What does Hunter's Hunter have to do with the integrity of his father's administration? Question mark. Statement number four. What does Hunter's, what does Hunter's Hunter have to do with the integrity of his father's administration? It's almost an exasperation. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So four statements. I'm happy to read another one if you'd like a little clarification. Well, but uh, let's go around. The, I mean, the way we play this game is we go around the horn. We kind of do it's like analyze these things a little bit. Yeah. Um, so why don't we start with you, Holmes? Well, look, I think number one is a statement of fact. Hunter made foolish and criminal choices. Um, it's certainly not exonerating him from anything. Uh, the, the thing that you got to play in this game is not only what you're hearing. You're looking for weasel words. You're looking for things that like out people as journalists. But you're also looking uh, the judge and jury. You got to play a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
You know, you got to know, like, are they setting you up on something? I mean, that's a statement that anyone can make. Uh, if they had the courage. Hunter's they foolish had the courage. choices tells me that it is, they're trying to isolate to just Hunter. You're not expanding upon that. It's isolating, which, it, although it's a, a statement that is arguably damning towards the Biden family, it certainly doesn't implicate Joe. So I'm going to reserve that one. Um, basically, when he, he said, they said, that seems to me, number two seems to me is a definite journal. Definite journal. You have any thoughts on that one? Well, uh, to backtrack a little, I actually had very similar thinking on the first one is that first, it seems like they're trying to silo the issue to Hunter mm -hmm. as kind of a way to protect yeah. uh, uh, Joe Biden from this. And at the same time, given the context of the rest, I was thinking that Ashbrook's trying to do like a reverse of where yeah. like only the journalists are like out and openly trying to run cover for this and that it's actually some dem operative yeah who made the a reverse so reverse up. yeah yeah so that was my thinking of, of number one being the dem okay yeah I, I i actually could see that smug it's like they're trying to be virtuous in explicitly saying what hunter did mm -hmm. as a way of minimizing it yeah because I, it's refocusing right. just isolating on hunter right like say the thing that oh ooh, whoa He's a, you're admitting it. Yeah. You're admitting to the thing that he also admitted in court. Right. right? He's like, also, yeah. Yeah. Way to go. Um, so I kind of I kind of uh, agree with Smug there. And then on two, the, the he said they said is classic journal. Yes. Where you don't actually want to litigate like the fact right. pattern that is right. being discussed. You just kind of minimize it by saying, oh, you can't possibly get to the bottom of this. It's just the he said, they said. You know? I guess we'll never know. Like, I'm a simple journalist. How the hell can I figure out what actually yeah. happened? So where I start to have some trouble here is with number three, the Republican obsession with Hunter Biden is reaching a new low. Um, look, that's a tough thing for a journal to say. I think it is absolutely a journalist. I think it. I think it's, it's, it's a um, lead in, like, an opening graph for them to then pivot to something that's, you know, how they were always like, oh, it's, it's, they want to see his porn, his revenge porn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think naked, this is, naked this hunter. Is, yeah. This is a journalist setting up some tiny little minutiae and blowing it up to an article so that they can avoid talking about the, the inconvenient facts. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think number four is a classic journo with, uh, what does his deal have to do with the integrity of the Biden administration? I mean, that, that is basically the, the inverse, though, of one. Mm -hmm. So, look, if I'm guessing, I'm going to say that number one is the Dem operative and the rest of these feel like journos to me. But I wouldn't be surprised if we got like a number four. I don't know. I'm just going to say I mean, four the, is very, very shameless. Yes. You, to, to pretend that you are sincerely <laughs> asking that question. <laughs> After all of the run up to this earlier segment we've covered on the show yeah. to be like, boy, oh boy, how are these things related? I can't believe it. I have no idea. <laughs> Could you reread number four? Number four. What does Hunter's Hunter have to do with the integrity of his father's administration? Yeah. I mean, I think that is so cringe and embarrassing. <laughs> is that... Hunter's Hunter... Are we talking about his illegitimate child? What are we talking about? What's the Hunter's Hunter? It's Is a, it just a it's, misstatement? A, a, according to the context, 
it's a little bit unclear. Okay. A little okay. bit unclear. Because, I mean, that's an important clue. I, it's unclear to me. Yeah. Even 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 I, with it, the even with the benefit of the full context of the piece, it's a little bit unclear. Hmm. If it's the illegitimate child, that's the most fucked up thing of all time, and I can't wait to find out who these people are. All right, I'm 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 gonna agree and go one. All three said number one's a down. Okay. What are the well, results? All three are correct. Whoa! Yeah! All, all three right. are correct. I you know, right. I really, I really enjoyed being part of this. I can't yeah. say, <laughs> and I, and and I'm glad you were because your insight was very oh, valuable. Thank you. Smug was dead on. Yeah, that it was the journos who sounded the most unhinged in protecting the administration, and uh-huh. it was the Democrat who was saying like the facts. And who, Holmes who, hit it right out of the gate. Who, who was the Democrat? So, so the Democrat is Jamie Raskin. No, oh. and that okay. was part of his opening statement okay. in a hearing. All right. Number two is the Washington Post. No. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's basically one big he said, they said. One big he said, they said. Mm. Yeah, except for all of those <laughs> emails and pictures and and calls and uh, testimony. That's, no evidence. That's, no evidence. evidence uh, he count. said, they said. Right. You never know. Uh, Number three is The Guardian. It was actually the headline of a story in The I Guardian. I knew it. No I way. It. Republic reached a new low. Republican obsession reached. An, I mean, it's just it's the most, it's a most embarrassing headline. <laughs> Uh, in number four, also the Washington Post. Number no. four. Wow. What does Hunter's a Hunter have to do with the integrity of his father's? So wait, hold on. Was this like an editorial op-ed? This was not uh, an editorial. This was uh, perspective. This is in the in a category mm, that they call. This is the one that they invent, right? Yeah, this is like the one, analysis. Yeah, and yeah. that like perspective is actually a little different than even mm. analysis. It's like where we allow our journos mm. to provide nothing but the opinion, yep. and then we'll print it in the news section. That, and and just for your edification, the headline of the perspective is. The right wing fascination with Hunter Biden's nudes. Yep. Explain. Nudes. There we go. Nudes. We're yeah. still on it. Dude, we just hammered. We hammered it. it. Absolutely. I'm really proud that. of us. I am too. We even got the context yep. right. Yep. That's exactly Oh, right. man. God, listen. You, this well, is that's, you it's why you need to listen to the variety program. That's exactly that's right. You, you, can't, you can't get anything over on us. Oh. So, all right. So, uh, transitioning, staying on, on Biden's for a minute. Uh, there was another story about his age and about what handlers are trying to do, or whatever. The interesting part to me is it came from NBC News, mm-hmm. which typically doesn't like to engage in these sort of things. But they go through a whole list, you know, him falling and all these things, and like they got to make sure that he never does that again. But then they talk about how this is starting to just be seared within the American public's view of him. And like that this is a real liability and their advisors are taking steps to try to minimize the physical toll. You remember they, they reference explicitly in here what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when he goes on foreign trips and then doesn't make the dinner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Um, it's amazing. Like we've been talking about this for a long time, but it's wild to me to see NBC News printing what we were talking about six months ago about like you can't hide this anymore. well i mean i think they're just recognizing reality 
right? What we've all seen for so long. I mean, remember a few weeks ago when we played the clip from Mika Brzezinski yeah. on uh, Morning Joe, where she's having the meltdown about how like staff needs to do better for him, yeah. Oh, yeah. yada, yada, yada. So this is a response to that. I think this is a response to that. Yeah, that's very- you know, In the same network. Right. Ah. Right. So they're basically tracking it down. They got some reporter who's like, all right, it's my job to figure out what are you going to do to make it better? And, Listen and to us. Message, message to Mika from the White House, we're on it. We're on yeah. it. We're on it. Which, well said, Mika. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're remedying the situation forthwith. Highly responsive to our number one constituent. <laughs> I mean, but like the whole idea that if you elect Joe Biden, America's going to be respected again on the world stage is just so laughably hilarious uh, in context of this article. At one point here, they're uh, interviewing a former Western diplomat who says, quote, physically, he's quite frail and he falls off his bicycle or whatever. <laughs> I mean, like, man. Throwing those darts? That'll scare Putin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you imagine just winging that, huh? Yeah. This article has so many just, like, amazing passages of where they're running through, you know, the story of all the various things that Joe Biden has done, whether it's, you know, they said he tripped over a sandbag hard at the Air Force Academy's graduation. But later on, they bring up what I, I can't believe so many people have forgotten at a conference last year, he looked out at the audience and called for a congresswoman who had recently died in a car crash. Like, yeah, that? Jackie like, where's, where's Jackie? I mean, so, and everyone's fu- like, "Oh my god, yeah. dude!" Like, what's funny? I feel like they're doing a compilation doc of yeah. the Ruthless Variety program. Yeah, really we've covered all of the. I mean, it's led our show most of the time, right? Anyway, so it's there. Uh, you should check that out. Um, here's a. We've been talking about this too. You're getting everything like first, but now it's nice to see everybody come back here. So even as third indictment looms, many Republicans still stand by Trump, is according to the Washington Post. Uh, During a hot, sunny weekend at the Boone County Fair, where hundreds of Iowans come together to eat funnel cakes and corn dogs and watch their children and grandchildren show off animals from their family farms, the range of Republican voters' views on Trump, the undisputed frontrunner in state and national polls, was on full display. Interviews with GOP voters in rural in this rural county, which Trump carried by double-digit percentage points in 2016 and 2020, show that Trump continues to have a tight grip on the party, even among those who have grown weary of his rhetorical and legal troubles. Uh, in a Fox Business survey of Iowa Republicans released Sunday, Trump continued to dominate the GOP field, garnering 46% of Republican caucus goers and leading the field by 30%. Um, so this is a statement of the obvious, right? Mm-hmm. They're doing on the ground stuff, mm-hmm. but it's shown up everywhere. And we've talked about how his indictments b- basically, if anything, have helped him. Mm-hmm. And I think we, when we talk to, to Trump officials on and off the record, they will say that that first indictment in particular, the one out of New York, mm-hmm. uh, made Republicans believe that the government's just sort of out to get him. Yeah, after the uh, the, the absurdity of Alvin Bragg's charge, it 100% colored the rest of this where folks say, okay, here we go again. The yeah. same farce, the same bullshit. They're just after Trump. And that, you know, the, the, the federal government, all the Democrats, they have to be a little bit pissed off that Alvin Bragg started off with that absolute garbage, making all of this look like a complete farce. Here's what I think is so fascinating in all of these surveys. So if you rewind the tape back to January and February, mm-hmm. you basically had a dead heat between DeSantis and Trump, and Trump was in the mid-high 30s. 
he's put about eight, nine points on that, which presumably came out of the DeSantis hide. But as you've seen in some of these state polls and even national polls, as DeSantis has gone from, you know, 40s to 30s to 20s to now, I think, into several polls over the weekend in the teens, uh, they're not going to Trump. They've gone somewhere else Mm -hmm. or they're not showing up. And I find this endlessly fascinating because I think we've now come to understand that your Trump ceiling is right around the 48 mark Mm -hmm. in this primary electorate nationally, different in different states, clearly. But that's right about where it's at. His floor appears to me to be around 30. Like that's as low as I could ever see him going no matter what, which probably precludes almost all of the candidates competing with him for the nomination. The idea that other people are getting to 30 at this point, if you don't have considerable resources, is hard to believe. Anyway, the point is, is the DeSantis thing has not necessarily helped Trump at all. So those were block voters that were in an anti-Trump mood, or at least like it's time to do something different mood. Sure. And as they went away from him, they've started to buoy Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, to a certain extent, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Mm -hmm. uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But they haven't gone back to Trump. So as you see this thing continue to go into the fall, it's interesting to think like if anybody can kind of have a consolidation, moments of consolidation, if you look back to like 2012, when you had the moment of the Herman Cain surge mm-hmm. or the Newt Gingrich surge or Michelle Bachman, when they quickly consolidated anybody who was not in a Mitt Romney account and, and made those two week pitches and then they kind of fell by the wayside, whether that's going to happen this time around. You know, one of the things, one of the other things you hear from uh, Trump insiders is that they have, you know, so he's, he's filled his team with people who have experience. Uh, you know, Chris Lasavita, we had him on the show, but Susie Wiles and others. He has people who have been there and seen that they remember the Herman Cain moment. And they're working very hard to lock down the vote share that mm-hmm. they believe is theirs. That's why you've seen them spend so much so early on TV. I think like 40% of the TV spend has been out of MAGA Inc. And they're doing con- other conventional things like building a ground game in in Iowa that is, you know, light years ahead of what they did in 2016. So there is a lot of technical uh, campaign. um, uh, There are a lot of technical campaign moves they're making behind the scenes that may not be getting as much play while he's, you know, earning headlines for the indictments and everything. And I think that a lot of the Trump insiders will point to this, like, um, this firewall they're building under the radar that's going to help them in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, and elsewhere. So to to me, what I'm wondering is, uh, for some folks who are, like you'd mentioned, the the anti-Trump or the they don't want Trump faction, if this is kind of like a deja vu of 2016 of where, at what point are they like, oh, well, damn, someone's going to have to, you know, knock Trump off if, if, you know, his ceiling is like in the 40s. Someone's got to consolidate that, but there's like a dozen people in here you know, which candidate's going to be like, everybody get out except for me. I can take him. But that's what all of them are saying. Mm-hmm. Well, and know? last time around, it was just Cruz and Kasich, and they mm-hmm. couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We were down to three, mm-hmm. and it still it still didn't work. 
Um, so I think there's a huge fallacy in that argument to begin with. But there's a lot of energy, and you got to think about even if you believe that Trump is in sort of a mid-40s nationally, mm-hmm. it still leaves the majority of a Republican primary electorate on the other side of that equation. And it seems to me that there are going to be opportunities for other people to make the case. We said early on that Ron DeSantis had the opportunity when he launched this campaign to make it a two-man race. I think pretty definitively we can conclude it is now not that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. I, th- I think that's become apparent now. I think, I, and that's a big statement mm-hmm. because that that was a thesis statement of the Ron DeSantis campaign. Well, and then you also just look at the the brass tacks, like money raised. I mean, I don't think Nikki Haley's going anywhere anytime soon. I don't think Tim Scott's going anywhere right. anytime soon. Vivek Ramaswamy's a self funder. He's already put fifteen million dollars into the race. He can stay as long as he wants. And then you've got Ron DeSantis. So unless you can make a credible argument that you and you alone are the one who can beat Donald Trump. I don't think they are going to go out back to your point smug on, are we repeating 2016? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it, it could, it could very, well they're going to have the money to stay in if they, if they so choose, but, I think, but to, but to, to your point, Josh, about this is not a two man race. It's going to become even more splintered after this first debate in Milwaukee, I think so. where yeah, you great. could have, I mean, like for all the shit we give Vivek, the guy can think on his feet. He's one of the smartest guys in the field. He is going. I, I expect him to just. He's wow also people been at this everywhere. Debate. He has. He's working. I mean, at- that's the thing that I think there are a lot of people who you see what he's saying. You you know you try to match it up against a, a professional history and everything. You feel like maybe he's just mirroring back to you what it is that you want to hear. But the bottom line is he's worked hard, mm. real hard. Yeah, He's been at every event across the country, and so you take a little of that with you in, to the debate stage. I, my guess is he's probably going to be hitting money talkers throughout that. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see if Trump shows up, though. Yeah. Because here's what I was like. If you've noticed, um, you know, at the, the Blaze event or, you know, the straw poll conducted afterwards where everyone's like, Vivek did a great job. Well, that's because Trump wasn't there. So the Trump people loved him. Yeah. Right? Are they going to love him when he's on stage with Donald Trump? Yeah. Or, it just or is Donald Trump not going to show up and Vivek's going to carry his water? Yeah. But I'd also be a little interested. I mean... Because, like, I don't I, I don't get Vivek's strategy here. Like, like you can, you can blame DeSantis for not making this a two-man race and that the door's clearly left open for a lot of other people. I, I just don't see how Vivek grows I have so I, I grows think, beyond where he is saying like oh, I think we've oh boy this other guy did such a great job I think we've kind of discussed a, a possible approach I think it was even you who came up with the theory of like maybe Vivek is just trying to draft off of Trump and let Trump nuke everybody else and then he jumps out as like I'm the last man standing I mean like now oh, I gotta make the move I only he hopes indictments right. take him down I only think his like his path to the nomination is Donald Trump in prison and people being like, well, he's the guy who defended him the hardest. Mm-hmm. That, you that, know, like I, that could be the case, but it doesn't change the fact that he's very good on his feet. He's he is. very smart and he could wow people in a debate, sort of like how Al Sharpton wowed people in 04 when John Kerry was there, apparent or whatever. I but, understand. But like the fundamental premise of his campaign is I'm going to do America first 2.0. But if you're running against the guy who did America first 1.0, what are you say? Are, are you saying 1.0 was done? This isn't a fucking phone launch. It's you it's, know what I mean. Like 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 what's what is what is America First 2.0? Was 2.0 done? Because if you're running against the guy, 
you must have a criticism of what wasn't done. How are you gonna you keep, see how are you gonna keep Bunny down on the farm? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't right. It's not a software Isn't patch. It? Like, I, I how are you gonna keep Bunny down on the farm? I just don't. I, I, if he's on stage with Donald Trump, what does Vivek say about how? Oh boy, I just I just want to take the banner and, and do more. Well, you're going to have to point out criticism of what wasn't done. So you know how, like, and that's where I think the, his whole game kind of falls apart. You know how it's there's be like a tough question in, for in me. the ocean, like sharks have that like little fish that swims like right next yeah. to it and will like grab the meat from its teeth and yeah. whatever. And the shark's like, well, okay, it's, you know, you can roll around with me. That works. Yeah, yeah. I 100 percent bet that's his move. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm rolling around with this guy. He's going to shred everybody else, right? <laughs> Anything happens to the shark, though, he's ready to. He, he, all the meat's his. Yeah. That's what he's hoping for. Yeah. I think that, I mean, look, it, it clearly, there's no other reasonable explanation for it. But, you know, you look at some of the lanes that these other people are crafting out. You look at Tim Scott, for example. He's got a lot of money and he's spending it. And he's got a combination of super PAC money and real campaign money. And right. again, to reiterate, like, you know, some of the intelligence that you only get on this show when we tell you that an actual campaign, the candidate's rate is the lowest possible rate to buy TV ads. So having your super PAC, which will have to pay like three, four times as much, buying ads isn't as great an idea. Yeah. And Tim Scott's campaign is having the campaign buy the ads. So they know- Well, their PAC is- Now they're doing both. They're doing both. Now, now they're doing yeah. both, which is saturation level. I mean, it's higher than anybody else. But you also have Nikki Haley out there who's running a great campaign, despite the fact that there's not a lot of attention to what she does on a day-to-day -day basis. But nuts and bolts wise, for those of us who've done this for a living, you look at it and you're like, wow, they're doing their job. Mm -hmm. They're doing their, they're not going anywhere. And Trump's not the only potential shark on stage at a debate. If Chris Christie is up there and in form, we all know he's very entertaining. We this all is know my that this he is can the fire shots at every one of them. And he <laughs> this is my care. favorite variable in all of this, in that Milwaukee, we're going to have a front row seat for this. Yeah. I'm not sure what happens with Chris. I, so my theory is one person's going to get knocked out, right? Someone's just going to get clocked. Like it and, seems and, and to it's, me, it's, and, if Trump shows up, it could be Trump who knocks him out, or it could be Christie who just body bags someone and they're done. But right? it, it could be just a total like roulette wheel <laughs> of like of who here is going to catch this bullet? <laughs> Who's getting it? <laughs> Couldn't it? Yeah, I mean I, that is awesome. That's look, that's great entertainment. Look, I I mean I know that there's plenty of people who Chris Christie isn't their their cup of tea, but I think if you look at the polls, you look at New Hampshire in particular, the. the Fact of the matter is, the guy came in like at one percent, and now he's third in the polls in New Hampshire. Yeah, he's surging right? there. So, like, he's clearly, um, you know, benefiting from the fact that he is sort of like unbridled in his direct criticism of what he would have done better. Than he's Donald the only Trump. one that took the lane, and and it's like what voters value more than anything, like ideology or whatever is authenticity and that's what he's got and that's what he's got and that's yeah. what the rest of the people who are running against donald trump have struggled with so much with like the indictments and everything is everyone's trying to find some sort of half measure or a way to not directly answer the question and it's like well then donald trump's already won like we should just pack up and go home yeah you know yeah <laughs> so so i mean i think look i think the debate if the stakes weren't high now that that door has been opened mm -hmm. to a lot of candidates to be the person who's going to take on Donald Trump, the stakes got even higher for Milwaukee for all these people. And the last thing I'll say about this, because we haven't really covered this explicitly, I think that there is a lot of liability in Trump not showing here. Because the news cycles that he's driving over the last three months have been predominantly related to his legal issues. Mm. 
his legal issues and his presumption of winning a primary. You know, he's this magnificent lead that he's got in all the polls. Those two things don't nominate somebody in the Republican Party, right? I mean, th- th- those are conversations that are, they block out the sun in a lot of ways. But people need to feel like you go out and earn votes to represent this party. I think 30% is in the bank and they don't care. Mm. But the rest that gets him to where he needs to be, um, if if you're looking like you're not actually going out and working for it, like that's, I think that's troubling. I think also like, you know, if you're, very online like a lot of people who are following this primary are i try to stay off twitter as much as i can when i see everybody fighting with each other um that's when i read it but, the most yeah i know <laughs> you, well, you love but um you know i think some of those people online are like oh wouldn't it be so cool if trump did like a live stream during the debate and like bracketed it and it's like that might be that would be cool but it'd be interesting and to to us who would like consume too much internet but i think for your like your average yeah. donald trump supporter in the rust belt who's like i want to see this him country, out there. they want to see him out there yeah. defending his record they want to see him out there fighting for what he believes in and that's why i think it'd be a huge mistake tomorrow. i totally agree with that i totally agree with that all right you guys want some animal news yeah always i think this stuff is just this one's off the charts uh experts say this is according to the guardian Experts say cocaine sharks may be feasting on drugs dumped off floor. Dude, so many people tagged us in this. (laughs) I knew we were going to do it. In what could be the plot line for the next cheesy marine-themed disaster movie, scientists think crazed and hungry sharks could be feasting on bales of hallucinatory drugs dumped off of the Florida coast. Um, it's a catchy headline to shed light on a real problem that everything we use, everything we manufacture, everything we put into our bodies ends up in a wastewater system and natural water bodies, these aquatic life we depend on to survive are then exposed to that, said Dr. Tracy Fanara, a a Florida-based environmental engineer and lead member of the research team. Hmm. So, all right. So she's saying like, she's making an environmental article. Uh, Okay. Is cocaine bales? They're chowing cocaine bales. Yeah. So I I have some thoughts. Cocaine sharks. And I I you know I think this is kind of like a psyop. So here's the thing: is this uh, week is Shark Week on the Discovery Channel, <laughs> indeed, right? Indeed. And so like I've seen these ads of that dude who played Aquaman talking about how he's the host for for Shark Week. Wait, this Jason week. Momoa? Yeah. Oh hell yeah! So I gotta watch. But here's the thing is when they're like listing the shows that they'll have, they have a show about cocaine sharks. Mm. So I bet <laughs> yeah. that they made they're sure- pitching all that, this? Yeah, they're pitching Great the story. Great PR. Yeah. 100%. I, a false I think flag. This is a false flag PR move. Um, I think that anything that's in the ocean, sharks will eat. There's definitely cocaine in there, you know? But <laughs> the upside too is these these sharks are trying to save lives. If it was, it was one of these like Chinese fentanyl bales, yeah. the shark's done for. This is know? called drug interdiction, okay? <laughs> That's what this is. They're part of our border patrol. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. If you threw them in the old Rio Grande and said, hey, man, there's cocaine sharks in there. I don't think you'd have, you know, Abbott wouldn't have the problems he's got. Sharks sharks don't need cocaine to be aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it says a, a hammerhead, a species that would usually swim away from humans, came directly towards the divers moving erratically. Oh, wow. Okay. He wants another fix. He, he's like, "What's up? I put a little something for the effort. I, I, I just want to taste." I, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's the cocaine. 
I literally think sharks will eat whatever's in front of them, and they're making an excuse. And they're also, by the way, saying that, well, we all, we all know exactly what the media is up to, okay? We know exactly what they're up to. Hunter Biden is getting in trouble for cocaine, and now the media is writing, sharks do it too. Yeah. So maybe it's not so bad if Hunter Biden's drinking, or is drinking, is, is drinking. bringing cocaine into the White House. Well, that's the thing. Is like, How about the feet? How are they going to get the feet in? Well... That's next. You saw all these journos minimizing cocaine in the White House where they were like, oh, well, you know, it's just cocaine in the White House, which is a wild take, but I saw multiple journos making it. I bet putting this out is like, hey, even animals do it. Right. Even animals (laughs) do it. That's exactly right. So what they're doing is giving Karine Jean-Pierre her next out. Yeah. Can I I just read a line that stood out to me Mm -hmm. here? This is from the person who was conducting, this Fanara lady who was Mm -hmm. conducting uh, this study. She said, while we were in the Keys filming, cocaine bales were washing ashore like twice in one week. Mm-hmm. So it's really prevalent issue. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> huh? How are you still a scientist? I think there's a more lucrative opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> twice a week, the cocaine bales? What is this, 1980s? God. No, this is unbelievable. Twice a week with the cocaine bales. This is like cocaine cowboys. Fantastic documentary, by the way. It is fantastic. Yeah, it is. Fa- and what was that Tom Cruise movie that he did about the uh, uh, American American Made? American Made. Well, yeah. great movie. Great, great movie. movie. But uh, it seems to me like what they're saying is that this thing is this is just happening. I I don't. I mean, sharks are dangerous animals. Any way you look at it, like literally, if you put your hand in the water in the Keys, it could get bitten on. You could be <laughs> drugged into the water by a shark. Anybody who doesn't know that is like trying to pretend like sharks aren't so bad so they can watch it on the Discovery Channel. It is, they're dangerous animals, whether, and if they're on cocaine, they're more dangerous. What, what, what would you do? In this situation? Yeah, to a cocaine shark. Boy, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I, I mean, it's not I, as easy as a monkey pool. It, it's definitely not as easy as a monkey pool. I mean, if if you do what our forefathers did, they would have dynamited the area, and then all the fish rise to the surface. You dynamite, then you that stuns them. They float on the surface. Well, and in then, Kentucky, don't they to get rid of what is it that uh, carp or something? Yeah, the Asian the invas- carp, the invasive, invasive one. They shock yeah. it. They have like these, yeah, boats that have like electric wires under them, and then they fire it off, and it just you see all the like carp float to the top. Yeah, yeah. that, but for cocaine sharks. But here. here- <laughs> Yeah. Hit him with some yeah. jumper cables. Yeah. Hit him with some jump. The old bath with a toaster. <laughs> it's an option. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. All right, fellas. I think we should probably get to this interview because it's a good one, and I think people will learn something from it. This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain: America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. I want to welcome to the program somebody you will instantly recognize from all of his news commentary over the years, incredible radio shows. He was on Fox uh, forever. He was a gubernatorial candidate last cycle, and he's now running for president of the United States. Larry 
Elder. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for not calling me the black face of white supremacy. Any day, any day where that doesn't happen is a good day. I mean, we're starting out well. Yeah, you run into it, man. It is, it's remarkable the emotion that you elicit from the progressive left. Well, any black conservative does that. For example, uh, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas was publicly called an Uncle Tom Mm -hmm. by Benny Thompson, chairman of the January 6th committee. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly. It's because we refute the narrative. The narrative is that black people are oppressed that America is systemically racist, uh, that uh, inequalities in housing and jobs all stem from racism. And if you don't buy that, you blow up their whole narrative. And the reason for that narrative is that they want to get black people angry. They Mm want to get black people thinking about social justice and equity, whatever the devil that means, rather than crime or bad schools or jobs, because they want that 90, 95% near monolithic black vote without which they cannot survive at the national level. I mean, look... I feel like that's a pretty good theory of the case because I can't figure out why you would go about executing a plan like that upon any American unless it was just simply brass tacks of vote. I mean, I mean, think about it. America is the only majority white country that's ever voted for a black president. Uh, the three biggest cities in America, New York, Chicago, L.A., all have black mayors. Mm-hmm. All are second on their second black mayor. L.A. only has 9%. We've just elected a black female mayor. Uh, Congress is roughly 13% black, which is roughly the percentage of population uh, that's black. The chairwoman of the president of Harvard is a black female. There have been blacks who have uh, been president of the American Medical Association, two of them. Mm-hmm. Blacks who have been president of the American Bar Association, two of them. There's been a black governor of one of the former Confederate states of Virginia, Doug Wilder. I can go on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, racism has never been a less important factor in America. Uh, so then why would somebody like Barack Obama talk about a privileged life, went to the finest school in all of Hawaii, goes to um, Occidental, which is a competitive private school in LA for the first two years, finishes up at Columbia, goes to Harvard, becomes president of the Harvard Law Review, um, goes to Chicago, becomes US Senator. Before he knows where the bathroom is, he runs for president, gets elected, gets reelected. But racism is holding black people back. Really? It's nonsense. Really held him back. <laughs> it's nonsense. And, um, but, but it, and, and it really is dividing the country on, on so many different levels. I saw a graph that looked at how much homework an average black kid does every night versus a white kid versus an Asian-American kid, night and day. Mm. Now, if you are a kid and you're being told a steady diet, whether from Barack Obama or Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson or now Joe Biden, that the man's holding you back, why in the world would you invest a lot of time and energy? Mm. And also something called the Ferguson effect, which I've been talking about on the campaign. And that's a phenomenon of cops pulling back for fear of being accused of being systemically racist. Mm. And as a result, there are literally thousands of people who are dead or have been injured by violent criminals who otherwise wouldn't be dead if the police were doing their normal proactive policing. Mm. Even uh, Rahm Emanuel, then the mayor of Chicago, said the police in Chicago, because there had been a high-profile shooting of a black person, had, quote, gone fetal, close quote. So there are thousands of people who are dead. Most of, them, most of these excess casualties, let's put it that way, are black and brown people living in the inner city, the very people that people on the left purport to care about. Yeah, and, that, and thank you put your finger on it there the, the biggest problem with sort of a narrative that you're explaining now is that the victims of all of this are the community that they care that they say they care about here. that's right i that's mean right. which is just so so wild i want to get into larry before we get too deeply into this i want to get a little bit into your background mm-hmm. because i think everybody sort of recognizes you have listened to your show over the years um and has has looked for your insights in a range of of things with conservatism tell us a little bit about Growing up, and well, and you were a California guy right from the very <clears> beginning. <throat> Tell us about it. Thank you for that. Well, I used to be a porn star, and, <laughs> and my career wasn't going well. I wasn't getting any work. I was I was typecast as a black face of white supremacy. You can't get any work. 
my, my dad never knew his biological father. By the way, I believe the number one social problem in America is the epidemic of fatherlessness. I've been talking mm. about it for decades. Yeah, you have been talking about it for decades. 70% of black kids enter the world without a father in the home, married to the mother, up from 25% back in 1965. Now 25% of white kids enter the world without a father in the home, married to the mother. And the na- numbers are clear. Even Barack Obama once cited them. If you're raised without a dad, you're five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, mm-hmm. nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. What's happened is Lyndon Johnson in the mid-60s, I think with the best of intentions, launched a so-called war on poverty. And since then, we've incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And virtually nobody is talking about it, and that's one of the big issues, in mm-hmm. my opinion, on this campaign. But back to your question. My father never knew his biological father, so it's not a death sentence, necessarily. Uh, he was thrown out of the house at the age of 13 by his irresponsible mother. Mm-hmm. Athens, Georgia, Jim Crow South, black boy, eighth grade education at the beginning of the Great Depression. Mm. He picked up trash, did anything he could. Ultimately, he became a Pullman porter for the trains. They were the largest private employer of blacks in those days. And he came to this place called California in a city called Los Angeles. And my dad, this is before the war, World War II, my dad was blown away. You could literally walk in the front door of a restaurant and get served. Mm-hmm. My dad always had packages of crackers and 10 cans of tuna with him because he said in the South, you never knew if you'd be able to get a meal. Mm. So my dad made a mental note, maybe someday I'll relocate to California. Pearl Harbor, my dad joins Marines. My dad was a Monfort Point Marine. They're the first black Marines. People know who the Tuskegee yeah. Airmen are, but they don't know who the Monfort Point Marines are. They were equally uh, revolutionary. Um, and my dad was in charge of cooking for the colored soldiers. As you know, the military was segregated then. Yeah. So my dad uh, can look at a, t- a cake and tell you what's in it. He's that good. <laughs> so he gets out of, out of the military, served in Guam, where there was heavy fighting, and gets to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he met married my mom, and he wanted to get him a job as a short order cook. And he goes to restaurant, to restaurant, to restaurant, pardon the language, and he was told, we don't hire niggers. My dad goes to the unemployment office. He said, the the sign said, lady says, you went through the wrong door. My dad goes out to the hall, sees colored only, goes to that door to the very same lady who sent him out. She's wanted to tell him what the rules were. My My dad came home and said, this is nonsense. I'm going to LA where I was before the war. Get me a job as a cook, I'll send for you. Comes out to California, walks around for a day and a half, and he's told, I'm sorry, you have no references. My dad said, I need references to make ham and eggs. <laughs> How about the Marines? And Is my, that a reference? Yeah, and, my, and, and, and my dad said, I'll work for free. Just write me a reference. They wouldn't even do that. He goes to an unemployment office, this time just one door. That's how progressive California was. <laughs> and she says, I have nothing. My dad says, what time do you open? She says, nine. What time do you close? She says, five. My dad said, I'll be sitting in that chair till you find something. He sat in the chair for a whole day, came back the next day, sat there until maybe midday. She calls him up. I have something. I don't know whether you're going to want it. My dad says, of course I'm going to want it. I'm starting a family. What is it? She says, a job cleaning toilets at Nabisco brand bread. My dad did that for over 10 years, took a second job at another bread company cleaning toilets. Uh, cook for a family on the weekend because he wanted my mom to be a stay-at-home mom, which she was until The Last of Us was in middle school. Went to night school to get his GED, and then after that went to night school to learn how to operate a small restaurant. The man never slept, which is why he's grouchy all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So my dad starts the cafe in his late 40s. He runs it until his mid-80s. When my dad retired, he owned that property. He owned the property next door, and he owned the the home that we still have in our our family. Not too shabby for somebody with an eighth-grade education thrown out of the house by his mom. By the way, his mom was illiterate, and my dad was born in the back of a room, as most blacks were in those days, not in the hospital. So he doesn't know his birth date. He goes to kindergarten, and the lady says, what's your birthday? My dad said, I don't know. He knew the year, 1915, yeah. 50 years after the Civil War, but he didn't know the, didn't know the day. So she wrote down May 25, which was her birthday. 
And so every time May 25 rolled around, I said, Dad, we have a 1 in 365 chance of this being the actual. <laughs> and the reason I tell this story is because my dad and my mom was born on a farm in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and I mean, my mom told me that when you went to a department store, if you could go to one, um, because my grandfather grew stuff and gave it to the guy who owned the department store, my mom could go there, provided the store was closed, she would go in the back door. Once the clothing fit her body, once she touched clothing, touched her body, she had to buy it. Mm. And my, they were telling me this story, by the way, when I was in my 30s. Oof. And I asked my dad, was it that way to you too? My dad pointed to his head and he said, hats too. You put on a hat, you, you had to buy it. And I said, why don't you guys tell me these stories when I was younger? And they said, we don't want you to be bitter because mm. the world's changed now. It's not the same way. My dad was a lifelong, dad yes. was a lifelong Republican. My mom was a lifelong Democrat. You should have been a fly on the wall to hear some of the arguments. I can only imagine. My, my dad was defending Richard Nixon during Watergate. <laughs> my mom wanted him executed. It was hysterical. <laughs> I mean, the dinner conversation for something else. But nobody called anybody a fascist. <laughs> nobody called anybody a Nazi. Nobody said, you only care about the rich. You don't care about the poor. They, they argued they argued civilly. And my dad always said this about, uh, about Democrats. Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try and get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something, one of his favorite sayings. Mm, so they wouldn't let us complain. Anytime we talked about it, some alleged obstacle, my dad would say, the door is wide open. All you have to do is walk through it. And that was then. That was in the 50s, early 60s when I grew up. So right now I have very little tolerance when I hear this business about systemic racism. Mm -hmm. uh, both think tanks on the left, Brookings, and on the right, uh, the American Enterprise Institute, have outlined the formula to escape poverty. It's pretty simple, if not if not hard to do. Finish high school. Make sure, ideally, your high school is one where you can read, write, and compute at grade level, which is why I support school choice. There are 13 public yeah. high schools, I kid you not, in Baltimore, where 0% of the yeah. kids can do math at grade yeah, level. Yeah, we've, we've followed it. And all these elites, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, Gavin Newsom, all send their own kids to private school. They wouldn't put their kids in a public school on a bed. Yeah. So finish high school. Um, get a job. Don't quit the job to get another job. Don't have a child until you get married, get married before you have the child, and avoid the criminal justice system. You do that, you will not be poor. Uh, now the question is, why isn't this happening? The answer is back to the, what we said earlier, and that's the absence of fathers. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, geez, I mean, you can see the impression that your father made <clears throat> on you. Mm -hmm. um, now as you get older, you get it into the entertainment business. Yeah. And that's gotta be an interesting switch right all for, all, all, just, all happenstance but I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, luck is what happens when opportunity meets preparation yeah. so I'm living in Cleveland I'm a lawyer and I practiced law for a few years started a little business and I began writing op-ed pieces for the newspaper and one of them got published and this is almost 40 years ago and I said racism is no longer a potent enough factor to hold you back if you're willing to work hard hmm. kind of what I just now said yeah and even now, it's jaw-dropping. Elder is denying the existence of systemic racism. No, I'm denying the existence of systemic racism today. Right. You know, slavery, yeah. Jim Crow, yeah. Today, no. Like, let me tell you about my family. And, and so uh, <laughs> it, it got published, and I get a phone call from producer of a radio show. And he said, I read your article. You don't believe racism is a major problem in America anymore? I said, no, not, not now. Are you black? And I said, I've been told. <laughs> He said, would you come on my guy's show and talk about this? So I was on for about an hour, which, as you know from radio, yeah. having somebody on who's never been on radio for a whole hour is an eternity. I mean, it's also a real gamble from the host. Right. <laughs> it, but, but it means you're rocking him. It means you're rocking him. Yeah. And for an hour, I was called an Uncle Tom, 
Cleveland, so they came at Cle you. Cleveland is half black, and, yeah. and most of the callers were black, and they were not. They were oh, not, you were taking calls. Oh yeah, they were not. Oh, moving. they just opened they, it they, up. They, they were not feeling it. Um, <laughs> Uncle Tom, bootlicking Uncle Tom, bug-eyed, foot shuffling, bootlicking Uncle Tom, sellout, uh, the Antichrist, and, and then, somehow this didn't turn you off. And then, radio. And, then, and, then, and then and then I was called the name you really want to call a black person. You really want to hurt his feelings. I was called Republican. Uh -huh. And at the time, I wasn't even registered as Republican then. So I, the whole hour, longest hour of my life. And I said, I'll never do this again. Phone rings. It's the station owner. He said, you were amazing. I said, I was. Oh, my God. He said, you have a pretty good speaking voice. You have difficult position that you defend it without losing your temper or your sense of humor. Have you ever thought about doing talk radio? I said, no. He said, I got a guy on vacation next week. Will you sit in for him? I said, no. <laughs> do, do I have to take college? He, he, said, he, <laughs> said, he said, why? I said, I don't like being yelled at. I don't like yelling. He said, are you married? <laughs> <laughs> at the time I was he said do me a favor go home talk it over with your wife and call me tomorrow I said I'll do that but I'm not going to change my mind I don't want to do this so I went home I mentioned it to my then wife Cindy we're still friends and she said what do you know about talk radio I said I know nothing about it other than I know it's shallow glib and stupid she said it is you'd be good at it <laughs> so I did that week I fell in love with it uh, I met Dennis Prager. Ultimately, I got a, a two-day audition back in L.A. At, at KABC, and they hired me, and the rest is history. That's an amazing, yeah. that's an amazing story. I hadn't heard it before, yeah. so I really did 30, 30 years in radio. Uh, I was in Salem. I was nationally syndicated. 300 markets. 1.5 million people heard me uh, every day for years. I'm also a nationally syndicated newspaper column. Been doing a weekly column since April of 1998. I've missed one, one week. I gave it up twice to run for governor and again to run for president. New York Times bestselling author. Believe it or not, I have a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, wow. I kid you not. Hollywood and Vine, want to touch me? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Southeast corner, across the street from the Pantages. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Well, you know what? I'm going to have to go look there for that go. now. Absolutely. So I mean, at some point, you go from conservative commentary, and you decide, I want to actually get in the arena yeah. and do this. I mean, being on that side of the microphone as long as you were, I mean, you knew that this was sort of a crazy jump, right? Should, should I be tested for my sanity to do yeah, yeah, a, a great job? And by the way, you know, I'm not flush. I'm not uh, a, a multi-centimillionaire. I'm not a billionaire. This is costing me money. I still have bills. And I gave up, as I said, my column, my radio show, my TV right. show twice to do this. <clears throat> and you don't get the money back. Yeah. And there's no guarantee you get it back. Yeah. I got my column back. I got my TV and radio show back when I left uh, the race for governor. But there's no guarantee. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing this because I give a rip. I'm doing this because I care about the country. Yeah. I'm doing it because I want to talk about the epidemic of fatherlessness, the lie about that America is systemically racist, the vital, vital need for school choice uh, in urban America. Yeah, I hear that. We need to get rid of these soft on crime, George Soros DAs. On my website, LarryElder.com, I've got a plan to do that. It's called Enforce the Law Act that allows states to set up commissions of retired judges, retired DAs to get rid of these soft on crime, George Soros-backed DAs. And then there's this big one. We just had this big battle over the debt ceiling, and you guys have been around long enough to know that the debt ceiling always gets raised. Mm -hmm. And uh, no one wants to shut down government because a couple times it's happened. The side that's bl blamed gets hurt in the polls. And so spending grows, whether it's a Democrat, whether it's Republican, under Ronald Reagan, my favorite president, government got bigger. He promised to shut down the Department of Education. It was bigger than yeah. <laughs> when he left and when he entered. Uh, it got bigger under George Herbert Walker Bush, bigger under, under W, got bigger under Donald Trump. The only way to rein in government spending, because much of it is on automatic pilot, the so-called yeah. entitlements programs. Yeah. 
70%. And if you run to say you're going to reform Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, you will lose elections. Mm -hmm. The other side will accuse you of not caring about the poor, the sick, the elderly. So the only way to reform these programs down the road is with an amendment to the Constitution to fix spending to a set percentage of the GDP with exception for war and for natural disaster. Mm -hmm. Now, amendment takes time, but since the Constitution was ratified, it's been amended on average every 10 years. It takes the bully pulpit of the president to explain it, particularly to young voters. These programs are not going to be there for you if we don't do something. The word unsustainable to describe them was used by Bill Clinton and also used by Barack Obama, oh, yeah. yet nothing gets done. Yeah. So if I can just put those issues front and center, I will feel that I've given back to my party. More importantly, I feel that I've given back to my country. My father, as I mentioned, was a World War II vet. My older brother, Kurt, my late older brother, Kurt, uh, died September 13, 2019, two weeks before his 70th birthday. Mm. At his computer at 5 o'clock in the morning, had a heart attack, died, my best friend. He served in the Navy during the Vietnam era, Sixth Fleet Mediterranean. My little brother Dennis was in the Army, also late little brother Dennis. He died of diabetes. Uh, he went to Vietnam. I'm the only one who didn't serve, mm. and I've never felt good about that. And this is my opportunity to give back to a country that's been so good to me uh, and to my family, and that's why I'm doing this. Well, you've got an incredible voice that you have expressed here for years, and I know a lot of people in our audience appreciate it. Thank you. You are now, uh, I mean, look, you're running for the big job, yeah. and you've got... There's no there's no bigger job. Uh, there's no bigger job in the no world. No bigger responsibility, which is why you've seen pictures of Abraham Lincoln uh, when he entered the office and then when oh, yeah. he left. Barack Obama, same thing. Yeah. Uh, the only one who didn't gray like that was was Ronald Reagan. It is I, funny. I, I right? saw an article uh, of Ronald Reagan in 1980, a picture of him in 1988. He looked the same. He did. <laughs> he, looked, he, looked, he looked even better. His cheek, cheeks were pinker. He'd been, pumping, he'd been pumping iron after yeah. he got shot. <laughs> but but his his aides, Deaver, Meese, um, yeah, they uh, all look. Uh, Baker, they looked like they had been run over by a freight train. And it said, headline said, what happened to Ronald Reagan's stress? He delegated. Yeah. <laughs> so I've I got a question for you. You were talking about unsustainable. And, you know, you can, you can speak to that firsthand in California. Oh, God, yeah. You know. Um, 1.5 underfunded, uh, uh, $1.5 trillion unfunded pension liability. And everybody the, the budget, always says. The budget that Newsom bragged about having being a $100 billion surplus is now a $30 billion deficit. Well, the reason why I think it's important for our listeners, everybody always says, you know, the progressives always preview what they're going to give to the rest of the country first in California. So I'm hoping you can speak a little to coming, that. Coming to a theater near you. Yeah. We've got, we've got two-thirds Democrats in the lower house, the assembly, two-thirds Democrats in the upper house, the Senate. Uh, Republicans need not even show up for work. So they pass one job-killing bill after another, one freedom-sapping bill after another, yeah. and we have, for the first time in the history of California's 170-year history, people leaving. Mm -hmm. There's a magazine called CEO Magazine. It's been around about 15 years, yeah. and mm -hmm. they ask CEOs of companies, what's the best place in which to do business? What's the worst place? For all 15 years, California has been the worst place. I mean, you high, really high, have to be bad to get people <clears throat> to leave that coast. Highest state, <laughs> in, highest state income tax, 13.3%. Even Bill Maher. Yeah. Who lives in L.A. complained about the taxes he's playing, paying. When you lose Bill Maher, <laughs> our, our schools are near the bottom. Crime through the roof. We have all these soft on crime uh, DAs that uh, people like Gavin Newsom uh, back. Even the one in, in the Bay Area was recalled. Mm -hmm. He was that bad. Yeah. Um, and um, homeless problem, massive homeless problem. Uh, when Gavin Newsom was the mayor of San Francisco, he promised to solve the problem by the time he ended his second term. The problem is even worse now. And when he was lieutenant governor, which he served for eight years, he pounded the table and would complain he had nothing to do. And I said, hopefully, maybe you should go back to the Bay Area and promise to and fulfill the promise you made to get rid of the, to solve the homeless problem. So California uh, is a warning to the rest of the, yeah. of the country what happens when you have a one-party state, which is why I've written a book called As Goes California, 
my mission to rescue the Golden State and save the nation. My goals are modest. Uh, you can you can order it on Amazon or on Barnes and Noble. And I outline exactly what's happened to California, ha- exactly what's happened with uh, with treating business people like they're villains, and treating villains like they're like they're victims of our society. Yeah. And that's what they've done in California. The stupid panel for reparations. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a panel, by the way. For all you business people, there's a panel that's set up to determine the wages of fast food employees in your restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gavin Newsom signed a bill mandating a course in ethnic studies for everybody graduating from uh, from high school. As you know, he's banned the sale of gasoline-powered cars by 2035. Yeah. Never mind the market. Never mind people don't want them. Well, never mind the fact that you're not going to be able to power anything else in the state of California. And never mind the assumption that uh, EVs are better for the planet than gasoline-powered cars. Right. I, I think it's dubious at best. But yeah. they don't see it. As a warning, they see it as a model for the rest of yeah. America, right? Well, and, and, which, is, which is why Gavin Newsom is so arrogant as to think he he could actually run for president and, and get elected. Well, yeah. and that's and that's my point here is is there's a lot of talk, you know, will Joe Biden actually run? Obviously, he's launched his campaign, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are looking over to to Gavin Newsom, saying like, you know, maybe this is our white knight on a horse right. to come in and save the day. Do you think right. there's any truth to that? No, I'll tell you what's going to happen. And this is this is a minority, not racial. This is a minority point of view. I can't wait to hear that, what you're that, about that, to say. That nobody, <laughs> that nobody seems to buy, but I don't understand why. Why do you suppose Gavin Newsom hasn't announced already? What's, what's he waiting for? The answer is Kamala Harris. Kamala mm-hmm. Harris is on deck. Keep in mind when for a brief shining moment, Bernie Sanders was a front runner after he won the Nevada caucuses oh, yeah. in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he took a self-described Democrat socialist was a Democrat's front runner, and yeah. they went holy bleep. That's when James Clyburn, the representative from yeah. South Carolina, on the eve of the South Carolina primary, endorsed Joe Biden, yeah. and extracted a promise that Joe Biden's first Supreme Court nominee be a black female. Gavin uh, Biden's VP, black female. When for a while it appeared that Diane Feinstein might not fulfill her term, Gavin Newsom publicly said, "I'm oh, going I to remember, appoint yeah. a black female." Mm-hmm. It is the year of the black female. Gavin Newsom many times has said women are smarter than men. You know, I, I, you know, I, 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 my job should be held by, by, by a woman. Condescending. He doesn't believe it, obviously. Why don't you just resign and turn it over to a black female? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so this is the condescending kind of thing that Democrats say because they're the identity party. So yeah. Gavin Newsom is going to dropkick the first black female vice president who might become the first black female president? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the most loyal part of the Democratic base are blacks. And black females are even more more loyal than black men. The first primaries in South Carolina, 60% of the Democrat voters are black. Most of those are black female, and they love them some Kamala Harris. There was a poll in the LA Times. Among black people, her poll is 70%. It wasn't broken down by gender, mm-hmm. but I assure you black women like her even more than black men do. And if black voters, particularly black females, see that, that Kamala Harris kicked aside for a white dude yeah. like like Newsom or Mayor Pete, they'll be so angry they won't vote Republican, they just won't vote, yeah. thereby guaranteeing that whoever the nominee is on our side will become president. So you think there's an even odd shot she's the Democratic nominee? They, they, well, come on. If Biden can fog up a mirror, he's a nominee. Yeah. If, he, <laughs> if, he, if he cannot fog up a mirror, or if so many scandals cause him to, to, to leave leave the stage, it will be Kamala Harris for the reasons I mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Keep in mind, she's ambitious. Yeah. It's not like she didn't want the job. Oh, no kidding. She ran for president. Right. Yeah. And she's been elected. She got elected DA in, in the Bay Area. She got elected uh, AG in California. She got elected senator. She dropped out before the first primary for president, but but wasn't because she didn't want want to be president yeah so the only way this happens is if is if Kamala Harris says you know what I'm so vacuous I am so incompetent I gotta leave 
Or they bring in a female, black female with a star power and only two fit the bill, and that's Oprah Winfrey and Michelle Obama, and both of them have said they don't want the job. So they are stuck with Kamala Harris. Now, what do you think? That's a fascinating give, give, take. Give, give me your reaction to my theory. I mean, I think it's a perfect theory, and I think you're absolutely right. What's funny, though, is you know you, you were saying in South Carolina she does really well with African Americans. I mean, the rest of the country doesn't really seem to agree. Yeah, you know, she, she, she has pretty, the, she has the worst deep. approval rating of any vice president it does, in it history. It doesn't matter. Look at Joe Biden's numbers. He's still running. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the feeling is that whoever it is, uh, whoever it is on our side, particularly if it's Donald Trump, he's worse. At least at least we're not a fascist. At least we're not, uh, at least we didn't undermine uh, the, the, our republic. At least we're not election deniers. That's how they look at it. That's how they'll phrase it. Right. That's what they did when I ran for governor. Um, I ran for governor. In comes Barack Obama. He cuts a commercial. In comes Joe Biden. Joe Biden said, Larry Elder is the closest thing to a Trump clone I've ever seen. <laughs> now, should I be insulted or flattered? <laughs> You tell us, and and nobody nobody said Gavin Newsom is doing a good job for the people of California. No, no. they just said stop Republican takeover. That's how they look at it. Yeah, oh yeah. We're Nazis. We're fascists. Uh, we're, we're we're tyrants. By the way, I've always thought of this kind of interesting. See what you guys think. The Second Amendment is designed to prevent tyranny, but they've called Donald Trump a fascist and a Nazi and a Hitler for four years. Mm-hmm. Yet they want more gun control. Yeah. Now. Isn't the point of the Second Amendment to stop a fascist, a Nazi, a tyrant from taking power? It means either they are being demagogues when they refer to him that way and don't really mean it, or they don't understand the purpose of the Second Amendment. Do you think both, that's both, possible? Both, both, are, both, both are bad. Yeah. Like, both are bad. I feel like they put the barrel on the bat on both of them, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, you got the president's son throwing away a handgun where he lied on the form to get, right? and he's about to skate with no charges on, on, on a gun and, charge. And didn't pay taxes for three years. Right. This is an administration. It's, it's almost like they're hypocrites, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way. I had an epiphany. Is that possible? Three years, didn't pay taxes. Rich people don't pay their fair share. <laughs> we got too many guns. He lied on his form, gets a slap on the wrist. You think that's hypocritical? <laughs> the cynicism in this room is just choking me. I, I will also say that my only quibble with your theory about Kamala here is I agree with the analysis entirely. But if Gavin Newsom thought he could get away with that, he'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, right? but he can't. There's not the profound respect for the black no, woman oh, there. No, please. That's <laughs> not what's happening. It's, it, Gavin Newsom is ambitious. He wants to be president. Yeah. If he could walk over her and, and, and be unscathed, he would have done, done, done it by now. Yeah. Also, I read a lot of the black media. There's a publication called The Grio, G-R-I-O. Yep, I'm familiar. And there was an article a few months ago. A headline was, give a sister, S-I-S-T-A, give a sister a break. And it was about the ridicule of Kamala Harris cackle, which they thought was sexist and and racist. And the article attacked Joe Biden for giving her, quote, thankless tasks, like getting to the root causes of illegal immigration. So they feel she's been mistreated. This is, I'm just telling you, this is how black voters, especially black females, feel about the way Kamala Harris has been treated. And they will be livid if she's dropkicked. Yeah. Hmm. No, I, I actually believe that. I think the Biden team actually feels that way, too. Mm-hmm. Well, what they've done is they train black people to feel that way mm. uh if if things go 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 in, in a bad direction it's because the man has held you back uh it's because uh, they're the party of, of of identity politics of of wanting a color coordinated society not a color blind society so they've taught black people this and now you want uh, black voters to go well you know what kamala harris is not competent she's she says silly things that don't make any sense so is it okay with you if we push her aside for gavin newsom or for, for mayor pete i don't think so mm-hmm. i don't think so yeah. No, I think that's, look, I, I can't quibble with that. Uh, let me ask you this. 
So obviously, this race for the Republican nomination is dominated by a former president. Mm -hmm. Huge poll lead over everybody. Uh, You're undaunted by that. Uh, Tell me why. Because I am an America first guy, make America first guy. And I've already said that if uh, I'm not the nominee, in the unlikely event that I'm not the nominee, (laughs) uh, and somebody like Trump or DeSantis uh, becomes the nominee, I will campaign vigorously for him if asked to do so, as I did in 2016 for yeah. Trump, as I did in 2020 for Trump, um, because the, the the threat, the danger is the Biden-Harris administration. Mm-hmm. And I said that when I ran for governor. I didn't say a single negative thing about any of my Republican rivals. I got into the race with eight weeks left. I raised $27 million in eight weeks, more than all the people on the on the re- replacement side. There were yeah, you scared the hell out of them. Combined, <laughs> all the Republicans combined. And I ran against, on the replacement side, the guy that ran against Gavin Newsom the first time. His name was John Cox. I ran against Caitlyn Jenner with her 14 million followers on social media. Yeah. I ran against a two-term mayor of San Diego. That's, by the way, the guy that uh, McCarthy wanted uh, and the National Party wanted. They didn't want me. Uh, I never got endorsed by the state or by the federal party. I never got a dime from them, and they didn't even give me verbal support, even though I was clearly the front runner. Mm. I got 49% of the replacement vote. The next highest person got 9%. But every time I was given a chance to to, uh, to harp on my Republican replacement rivals, I didn't do it. Mm. I said, ask me about Gavin Newsom. Mm -hmm. Ask me at what point does Gavin Newsom feel an abortion has gone so far that it constitutes homicide. Ask Gavin Newsom why he hasn't done more about crime. because he's a target. And similarly, um, I've not said a single negative thing about any Republicans um, because any of us would be better than, than what we got right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and as I said, if I get these issues, the issue of fatherlessness, the issue that America is not systemically racist, what it's doing to, to people, uh, the need for school choice and the need to get rid of these George Soros soft on crime DAs and the need for an amendment to the Constitution, if I can get the other nominee talking about that, I've done my job. That's great. That's great. Well, I mean, look, that's what Bernie Sanders did to the Democratic Party, right? Mm-hmm. He may not have won the nomination, right. but they took all of his stuff. And, and, and notice Bernie Sanders has not said a single critical thing. Yeah. That's how radical this administration has been. Yeah. When Bernie Sanders is happy. Yeah, he's happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put, put, your, put your hand on your wallet. <laughs> Speaking of which, I've got to get 40,000 individual yeah. donors to qualify for that first debate next month in uh so a buck, a buck, and a buck will do it. Just a buck will do it. What's your website? LarryElder.com. Okay. Yeah, and we're roughly halfway there. Uh, I'd like to see you on the debate stage. I, I think you'd have a very. I'm not very happy important. with with the with the criteria. In 2020, the Democrats required you to get one percent in the polls or a certain number of donors, not both. Mm-hmm. And you have to turn over your list to the RNC so they can fundraise off of it. And a lot of the candidates, in my opinion, are resorting to gimmicks, which to me undermines the whole process. One of them is offering a twenty dollar gift certificate for a one dollar donation. Bergen bucks. Another one is offering a free concert if you um, donate one dollar. Another one is paying commissions to prospective donors to get other prospective donors, which seems to me to undermine the whole thing. I'm doing it the old-fashioned way. I'm asking people for their support, yeah. shockingly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I got to get you out of here, but we have three questions that we ask sure. everybody. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, you're going to like this. If you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Pancakes and bacon. Oh, you go with them straight yeah, back breakfast? With, with with butter and Mrs. Butterworth syrup. <laughs> yeah, that's old school. Yes. I, like I haven't eaten anything like that in probably... A few years. It's my favorite meal, but I've got to watch my weight. And um, I can't believe I used to eat that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I'm salivating as we speak. It's I delicious. Haven't had, I haven't had breakfast yet. It's delicious. Yes. I love that. All right. So second. Is question. there anything better than bacon? No. no. Uh, bacon, no. bacon, tennis, um, 
Excuse me. Bacon and sex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as between bacon, tennis, and sex, it's a, it's a pick em. Yeah. <clears throat> we can advertise all that. You get and a bunch my, of $1 donations. My campaign donation. manager, Matt's going, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done the bacon, sex, and tennis joke. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone there. <laughs> he listen, he yeah. knows what he's getting yeah. to do, right? He's, I mean, he's lost he's, five pounds sitting he, over there right hung, now. Right? He's hung around you long yeah. enough to know you're not yeah. going to keep it between the 40s. Uh, all right, so second question. With the benefit of retrospect, if you never got into radio, never got into any sort of news entertainment stuff, uh, and and you're looking back in your life and you got this big blue sky mm-hmm. that you can do absolutely anything with, what what do you what would you do? Business, I would have gone into real estate. Mm, um, I would have um, stuck to the knitting and the stock market. I've always been a fan of the stock market, and I have all sorts of ideas about what I can do, and I followed them sometimes, and sometimes I broke my own rules. Mm. Um, I also, from a, from a career standpoint, I would have become a writer. In fact, I consider myself to be a writer yeah. now. I mean, I've written a number of books. I wrote one about my dad. Uh, we had an eight-hour conversation where I learned about his life. All the stuff I told you yeah. just now, I learned in that eight-hour conversation. Amazing. It's called Dear Father, Dear Son, Two Lives, Eight Hours. It wasn't a bestseller, but it's the best book I've ever written. Oh, that's great. So if I, I could do it all over out. again, um, I would do real estate, and in my time, I would write. Ah. I love that. Mm-hmm. All right, so our final question. But, by the way, I asked my dad one time if he could do it all over again, what would he do differently? Yeah. It's my, it was my favorite questions. And I, I only ask it to people I respect because if people I don't respect, what do I care? Yeah, we are, and they're making it up anyway. And my dad's the only one who said this. Nothing. I said, Dad, you wouldn't have done anything? He said, no. I said, you would have married the same woman? Yes. You would have done this? Yes. He said, I, I kind of like the way I handled things. He's the only person I know who ever said that. You and, and my dad does not lie. Yeah, you the only lie he ever made was my dad died at the age of 95. And my, I, I made my dad promise to, to live to 100. My dad said, I can't promise. I said, Dad, please. I can't promise. Dad, please. Okay, I promise you. It's the only promise he ever broke. <laughs> he had to get you out yeah, of the room. only promise he ever broke. <laughs> oh, man. That's a five, great five, story. Five years short. He got every ounce out of that lemon oh yeah. man i love it mm-hmm. all right so our last question it's a little esoteric so you gotta you a bear, little esoteric be, you gotta bear, bear all your questions have been esoteric. Bear, bear with me a little bit so our view is that almost every successful person is motivated by one of two things the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat and it's not that anybody likes to lose or anybody doesn't like winning mm-hmm. it's what motivates you to keep going to, to go to the next step, to keep building, to keep, you know, and then there's the sunny optimist, glass half full personality, clearly mm-hmm. thrill of victory person, and then just sort of self-motivated. And then there's where's, the- where's, where's this question going? Then there's the <laughs> agony of defeat person, who's more like a Michael Jordan character, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who's every accomplishment they ever had, they celebrate for like two seconds, but yeah. any kind of Jer- step Jerry back. West was like that too. Exactly, mm-hmm. right, Yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So on that spectrum, where do you think you find yourself? Uh, I have a church uh, teacher named Mrs. Bailey who once asked me something like that. She said, Larry, what drives you? Mm-hmm. And no one asked me that before. I must have been 13 years old. And I said, Mrs. Bailey, I want to see how far I can go before somebody stops me. Now, that's not a, quite an answer to your question because I think neither one of them. I've always just tried to see whatever I could pull off. Can I get this? Can I do this? Can I make this happen? And I've always felt that you cannot go too far until you've tried Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I look at it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating answer. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten that one before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but you've been challenging conventional wisdom for quite some time, so I'm not terribly surprised. Listen, Lee Elder, LeeElder.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke. You guys didn't, you guys didn't hear the setup. No, we, we had a very funny... Actually, you should probably tell the audience about well, that. Well, uh, and Lee Elder is the first black person to play in the Masters. I think it was around circa 75. Yeah. So I started practicing law in a big law firm in 1977. I was a fifth black associate, by the way, at this law firm. hundred and Founded in 1890, seventh oldest law firm, I think, in the nation. So it was rare for anybody black to be there. And so I had all these white partners introducing me to other <laughs> white partners and, and white clients. And if I had a nickel for every time this happened, I could fund my campaign. This is my young associate, Larry Elder. Mr. Jones, this is Larry Elder. And Mr. Jones would go, hi, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I just and, died. And, it was and too I, good and not and to and bring and up. I, and I would go, actually, my name is Larry Elder. Lee Elder is a golfer. Uh, and the guy would turn 18 shades of red. And I said, Couldn't, you know, just don't, don't, don't worry about it. And it happened over and over and over again. Never when I was being introduced to a black person, just a white person. And that's because I believe that a lot of white people then and now walk on eggshells around black people because they've been taught that they're racist or institutionally racist yeah. or they don't want to be perceived that way. So they're not listening. Right. <laughs> they're right. not listening. And so I would say it over and over again. You were, no, you weren't listening. And they would turn 18, 19 shades of red. Um, and so <laughs> so you, you called me Lee Elder. Go to LeeElder.com. Uh, that's because of that. Or the conversation we had. I hope you don't mind, but I had to get you to share that. Yeah, you got to buy that domain and just redirect it to Larry Elder, probably owned by the PGA of America. By the way, there's no there's no relation, as far as I know. We're not we're not related. Lee Elder and Larry Elder are not related. Well, but besides, Elder is not my dad's biological name. My dad never knew his biological father. Elder was the name of some man who was in his life the longest. He was a alcoholic who was physically abusive to his mom. And my dad tried to stop it. The guy would beat the crap out of my dad. So my dad had never met his biological father. So Elder isn't even my dad's biological father's last name. I could so listen to you talk for two hours who, about your dad. I don't know who life. Elder is. He's probably out there somewhere. Hey, Mr. Elder, what <laughs> Mr. up? Elder. <laughs> Mr. Elder, what's up? Well, listen, Larry, thank you for coming in here. We really appreciate it. I think your voice is an incredibly important one thank for you. this debate. Thank and you. I and I wish you good luck and your travels and your presidential campaign. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. Really glad he came on. I'm glad he came on too. And you know, look, you look at the polls, Larry Elder's not exactly uh, the top of the charts and he's going to have to work pretty hard to get on that debate stage, but he's been an important voice in conservative politics for a long time. I hadn't heard his whole story about his father and all of that before, uh, which I found incredibly compelling. And, and, what I like about it is it like he's doing this because he really just thinks it's important. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, isn't that what you want out of your presidential mm -hmm. candidates? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, the guy is a legendary voice in Republican or conservative broadcasting. He's been around for a long time. And I mean, I, I remember back when we were working on the Hill, people would go on his show routinely. Yeah. And he had a big audience. And it's easy to see why. Yeah. He also has a good sense of humor. He allowed me to bust his balls a little bit with the Lee Elder thing. Yeah, which yeah, is, no, it's great. great. Very funny. Uh, anyway, thank you to to uh, Mr. Elder, Larry Elder, for doing the, uh, the, the program. We're going to have a lot more presidential candidates here over the la next couple weeks. 
uh, as we endeavor to give you everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think we did it. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode. Gentlemen, thank you so much to Larry Elder. Thank you so much to our listeners. And remember, if you haven't yet, subscribe on YouTube. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>